Let's pray. Lord, I am so grateful uh, that in my weakness, your strength is made perfect because that's what we need is your strength. We don't need mine because mine is nothing compared to your weakness. Your weakness makes my strength look pathetic. It's so powerful. And you really have no weakness. So we rest in that. And as we open our eyes and our heart and our mind to who you are, who you really are, that we might, I pray that we might grow in our com- comprehension and understanding of the truths about who you are and why that matters, why that's such a big deal. Lord Jesus, you are supreme. You have defeated sin and death, shame and guilt, hell itself, and you free us from those things when we trust you. You reconcile us to yourself through the cross. The blood on the cross brings us to the peace of God. And we are, we are in a world full of people who do not know that, do not believe that, or do not understand that. And we have the opportunity to change that, to be a part of you changing that through us through our weaknesses and imperfections and even our outright disobedience. Because you're God and you can do whatever you want. And so Lord, I pray that as we hear these words that we would be sobered by them, that we would be electrified by them, that we would swell with compassion and humility and that we would just crave the reconciliation that Jesus died for us to be able to have and to share with others to have. And so I pray that today you'll do that great work in us so that you might do that great work through us. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. There's a story, I don't know if it's true or not, there's a story about a couple out west that separated and he ended up moving east and his job was out that way and he worked a while out there and then work took him back to the same town they were in when they were together and while he was there he visited the grave of their one son and he's standing at that grave and he's remembering fond things good memories but he's looking at the grave. And he hears a step behind him and he turns and there's his wife. And in that moment, they both have this impulse to turn away and to just leave each other. But they don't. They pause long enough for him to reach back and grab her hand. And together they remember and are reconciled over a grave of an only son. Why is Jesus such a big deal? Why is Jesus supreme? Because he can do that. And he can do that not only on an earthly relationship level, he can do that on a cosmic level with our creator and us. Jesus is supreme because he reveals God to us, and he reconciles us to God. 
but this doesn't come easy for us, does it? Thanksgiving is Thursday. And that's the time of year when many people get together with family and friends, sometimes with family they haven't seen in a year or more, sometimes with family that they would never choose to be with if they weren't family. And we get together and we do Thanksgiving or we meet at the Cracker Barrel or we go to them or whatever, but people get together to be grateful together with people they're not always grateful to be with because there's something between those two people. Just like between that estranged husband and wife. But there's a grave. It's an empty grave now where the one and only son of God was buried. And he didn't stay there so that we could be reconciled to our heavenly father, our creator, and that we could also be reconciled to one another. Our family, our friends, our neighbors, and even enemies. And so it will not surprise me. In fact, I expect this to be true. This year uh, at least, that there will be people in this room watching through that screen that are aware even now of a relationship that is estranged between you and someone else. And that you have an opportunity to not be the barrier to that reconciliation. You can't make it happen, but you can certainly initiate the possibility And by believing that God loves to reconcile and is reconciling all things to himself, all people to the extent that people will trust him, is the extent to which you and I will believe and step into that moment of reconciliation. We can't make them reconcile and we shouldn't try to make them do anything. What God wants from you and me is to humble ourselves and invite reconciliation by the grace of God, by grace, through faith. You know, when God reconciles us to him, he gives us access again. That husband and wife that were estranged, when they reconciled, they now once again had the door of access to one another's life opened again. That's what we're talking about. So I'm gonna retell a story I've told here before that I love, is, and it relates to this access thing. There was a Civil War soldier who uh, did not want to fight in the Civil War for the Union. He didn't want to fight at all. And he knew that he could actually, back in those days, you could actually go to the president and ask for something. The line wasn't that long. There weren't that many people. And they, they didn't have the security issues that we have today. I guess that was wrong, Mr. Lincoln. But anyway, the White House, he goes to the White House to see President Lincoln to ask for an exemption from the war. And for whatever reason, he doesn't get to ask the question. He doesn't get all the way to Lincoln. And so he leaves dejected and finds a park bench and sits on it. He's just, he doesn't know what to do. He's depressed, he's frustrated, he's just there. And a boy walks up and the boy walks up and looks and he can tell that this this soldier is having a bad day. He's downcast, he does not sure why. And so he, are you okay? And the soldier just finds this young man so compassionate or just so, he's just at a place where he just, he just starts pouring out his heart and his story to this boy. 
and tells him why he's there and what happened. And the boy says, come, come with me. And the soldier's kind of confused and the boy just starts walking and says, come on. And they walk and the soldier's like, I don't know why I'm doing this, but what else am I going to do? I'm just so distraught. And he follows him and he walks to the White House. And, and he walks past the security, he walks past people are saluting him and he's like, who is this kid? And the boy walks right up to the office. I don't know if it was Oval back in those days, but he walks up to the office of the president and he doesn't knock, he just opens the door. And there's President Abraham Lincoln talking to his secretary of state. He turns and he says, hey, hey, Tad, what can I do for you? And Tad says, dad, this man needs to talk to you. That man got access to the father through the son. See it? And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the father except through me. Okay? Access, reconciliation. That's what we need. We need access to God to get through this life in this broken world. It's so broken and it feels like it's about to fly apart at times. I was reading in one of the, um, the, the books in preparation for this and one of the writers said, he told what he thought was a, a modern day parable. He was talking about the story of the Titanic, April 1912. Greatest ship, you know, unsinkable ship, cruise liner that loads it up with people and it sets sail hits a, an iceberg, and it sinks. The unsinkable ship sinks. And they, the engineers, they were so confident that this ship would not sink that they didn't even put a full number of lifeboats on it so that everybody would have one because we're not going to need those. In their hubris and arrogance, they did not prepare well. That's another message for another time. And so it sinks, and the lifeboats set out, but 18 of those lifeboats were only half full. Lifeboats were only half full. 1,600 people didn't get into a lifeboat. So they're in the water, ice-cold water, for, until they either can't feel them, they hypothermia, they drown. Out of 18 boats that had room for more, only one went and scooped up passengers out of the water. 13 of those 1,600 people were saved out of the water. Even though there was room for many more. The boats could hold 65 people. So half of capacity times 17 boats did not get saved. Because, why? Because the people in the boats were so afraid of dying that they wouldn't go help those who were dying. The modern day parable is that I wonder if the church isn't the folks in the boats and the people in our world are the folks in the water and we can go rescue them but we won't because we're afraid because we've quit believing that God has reconciled us to him so that he can reconcile us to each other and help them be reconciled to God it's a sobering thought isn't it to think that we might be in the boats and we might be in one of those boats that's unwilling because for whatever reason, fear, busyness, unbelief. We're all recovering unbelievers, right? Let's just be honest. This passage 
tells us, reminds us over and over and over for lots of different reasons why Jesus is supreme. What's the big deal about Jesus? We said last week, he created us out of nothing. That alone should be enough reason, right? He's so big that he created the universe and it's like a pen in his hand, like a little grain of sand on his hand. And if you're a multiverse person, okay, it's still a grain of sand in his hand. I mean, it's just so big, it doesn't matter. He created it all with a word and he didn't have any building materials to use. (laughs) He had to make those two. And he did it to give us a theater for the drama of human life. The backdrop is a universe that's billions of light years across and expanding every day. It's a backdrop to say, yeah, I'm pretty big and you're not. And yet, I know how many hairs are on your head and I know what you're thinking right now and I know what aches your heart and I know how to fix it. That's pretty awesome. Oh, and that's just reason number one why he's awesome. Yeah. I'm going to give you two more reasons today. One is kind of an overlap from last week, and that is that, God, that Jesus reveals God to us. That means he shows us what God looks like. And of course, how do we know what Jesus looks like? We have scripture. We have incredibly reliable ancient historic documents. There's no other ancient historical document that comes close to having the number of actual physical copies available to the New Testament. I think the last number I heard was like 25,000 partial or complete parts of the New Testament. And that's in the original languages. That probably doesn't include the various languages it was later translated into. The next best thing is 700 copies of Homer's Odyssey. And we treat that like it's, oh, there's no reason to doubt that. So when we dive into this, I want you to, to just... We're looking at a passage that describes Jesus who is giving us a picture of God because he is God. Somehow, and I don't know how, quite how to reconcile this exactly, but in this passage and you compare it to Philippians chapter two, which is the, another Christological passage, verses five through 11, here it's gonna tell us in verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Remember now, God is, reveals himself in three ways. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. Unity, community, okay? And, and God does different things through the different persons because he's chosen to do that way, do it that way. And he, he's so big, we can't really understand and wrap our brains around how that works, but it does, And he says, I'm going to reveal the fullness of God through the Son, who is, verse 15, the image of the invisible God, okay? He is the, he is not just a picture, though, of the invisible God, because, like, how do you do that? He is a representative, uh, he fleshes out in humanity, what God looks like in divinity. Now, obviously, that's going to be limited, which is why Philippians 2 says he emptied himself. Because to take eternal 
infinite God and shoehorn, shoehorn him into an earth suit is quite difficult to do unless you empty yourself of most of your infinite glory and yet remain God and glorious in the moment. And he's able to do that somehow because he's God and he knows how to, to do that. And he puts on humanity. He becomes weak. He becomes a servant. And he serves and obeys his heavenly father to death, even death on a cross. That's Philippians 2, okay? But here he says in verse 19 that he is pleased, God is pleased to have all the fullness dwell in him and that he is the image of the invisible God, the son, the son, the son, S-O-N, okay? So why is Jesus such a big deal? Because he displays for us to the degree at which we can handle it the glory of God. So if you want to know what God's like, study Jesus. If you want to know what God's like, follow Jesus. Then you'll know not just here, but here. Because you'll begin to engage him experientially. And that's where it really gets real. Verse 20 says this, and it starts to take a turn to where we spend the rest of our time. And this is the second reason why we, we see Jesus as supreme. This is the second why reason to the answer to the question, what's Jesus such a big deal? Why is he such a big deal? One, because he reveals God to us. And the second reason is because he reconciles us to God. He reveals us, he reveals God to us, and he reconciles us to God. Verse 20. And through him, that is through Jesus, the Son, to reconcile to himself, all things, okay, so that's not just people, that's creation. All things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace. And that's not just a cease, that's not just ceasing hostility. That is peace as in, I feel complete and whole no matter what's going on around me. I am at true peace, the peace that surpasses all understanding. Shalom is the Old Testament way of saying it. By making peace, and then how does that peace come? Through his blood shed on the cross. That's why the cross is such a big deal. That's why Good Friday is good. It's why we sing about the blood of Jesus. It's because without the blood of Jesus shed on the cross for our sins in our place, there's no hope for us. There's no one to follow because there's no hope for life after death. There's no best is yet to come if there's no cross with the, with the blood of Jesus, the one who lived the life we couldn't live, died the death we deserved to die so that we could live the life he called us to live in the first place. And we ask the question, what's the big deal about Jesus? It's a good question because if I really thought we didn't have a problem with the answer to this question, I don't think I would need to preach this because we would be living that. We would be little Jesus, a little Jesus, little Christ, which is what Christian means. But it's been so watered down in our culture and in our churches, honestly, that I hate to even use the word Christian anymore. It's more like an adjective for bookstore and music instead of being little Jesus. Verse 21, once you were alienated from God, he, now he goes back, 
Paul is saying, this is where you were. And he, remember who he's writing to, right? He's writing to Christians in the city of Colossae, hence Colossians, letter to the Colossians. He's writing a letter to Christians that gather in the church at Colossae who are being infiltrated by false teachers. People who are saying, oh, Jesus, yeah, he's a good teacher. He's way down the ladder rung of how you get to God. He's one of the first steps. He's really not that big. He's not very impressive. That's the kind of teaching that was coming through. You need to have a better, superior knowledge. You have to know certain things, secret handshakes, secret high fives, you know what I mean. Things that really show that you have the knowledge. You hear the hubris in that? You hear the, the lack of access in that? That is so not the gospel. No, the Bible wasn't written for seminary students. The, the Bible is written for everybody. Okay? The the. The five-year-old that gets explained the gospel is just as much for that child as it is for the seminary president and the theological whiz kids. In fact, well, I'll park there. Alienated. Think about that word. You were once, we were once alienated from God. Alienated. Okay, so alien, right? That sounds... That sounds out of this world. It doesn't sound real. We go to movies and watch movies about so-called aliens, but I've never seen one. But that doesn't mean they don't exist. Don't, don't, don't fire at me, right? right? If they, you know, someone once asked me, many times actually, people have asked me, so if they were aliens, would, you, would that mess with your, your religion, your faith? And I was like, no. God can make all kinds of creatures. I have no problem with that. Still grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Well, what if people are on other planets? That's fine, still by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. doesn't matter. My Bible's good no matter what you throw at me. If it's real and it's out there, what if there's another universe and there's another you? Still by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, okay? I mean, right? Let's cling to what is true. Let's not let, you know, people throw enough mud and they hope some sticks. They're just looking to see how significant your faith is. Does it really ground you or does it freak you out? Okay? Cling to what you know is true. Do not be intimidated by those who would try to derail you, the fools that are out there trying to make sense out of foolishness. And I'm not saying that those things aren't or couldn't be true. I, I really don't care if those things are true or not because God has no problem with what's true. All truth is God's truth. But at once, the truth is that there are many people in our world, and we were once this way, who were alienated from God. That's like you being on the coast of California, not the park sliding into the water. Well, actually, before it slides into the water, you can be there. And God's on the coast of, of China, let's say Shanghai. And, God, and, and God's like, well, you, if you can get to me, you can come. If you can swim without any help, come on. But because he knows that you can't. Alienated means we're so different. And the word here implies a permanence. There's no way, basically, I can get from the coast of California and swim to the coast of China. There's just no way I can swim across the Pacific Ocean. The only way I can get to God is if he comes to me. And he did. Right? He came down from heaven as Jesus, the Son of God. He sent his Son to cover the gulf. Right? 
it's, it's, we don't climb the mountain to get to God. We can't climb the mountain. We don't have good enough gear. It's too dangerous. It's too high. It, there's no oxygen up there. He came down because we can't get to him. And in his mercy and compassion, he made his way to us, though it cost him the life of his son to demonstrate his love. Jesus' love for the Father, that's why he obeyed, and Jesus' love for us because he's compassionate and loves us. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies, we were hostile to God. Enemies in, our mind, in your mind because of your evil behavior. That was the evidence. You could look at the way we live, right? We're toddlers, we're running around screaming because we don't have what we want now and the world revolves around us, right? What two-year-old toddler at some point doesn't act like the world revolves around them, right? Why? Because we're all born sinners. You don't have to teach us how to pitch a fit and make it all about us. Some of us never get over that. All right, but by grace, through faith, we can. And realize it doesn't revolve around us. It revolves around him. He is, he is the difference maker. Verse 22, but now he has reconciled us. I'm sorry, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. This is to make the point, Jesus was not some ghost-like figure who died on the cross. Some people believed that back in that day. It's one of the things they were teaching that wasn't true. Jesus was physically, fully human. God came down, emptied himself from what he needed to empty himself so he could truly become human, and he walked the earth as one of us, was tempted in every way as we were. The difference is he didn't give in to the temptation. That's why he was qualified to die in our place on the cross as a sinless man of God. Okay, and that's why we, we, and the reason we know that he succeeded is because when he died, God raised him from the dead. God the Father raised his son from the dead, proving he was an acceptable substitutionary atoning sacrifice for our sins. And I know that's a mouthful of seminary words. It basically means the wrath of God was absorbed by Christ so that we wouldn't have to live it, wouldn't have to absorb it. And the conditional statement is that by not having, I don't receive that if, I trust that Jesus absorbed it for me. I believe that his substitutionary spot on the cross was enough. Me trusting that that's enough is faith, believing that Jesus died for my sins and therefore I can live free, forgiven, forever. That's reconciliation. We can't really be involved in reconciling people if we're not reconciled to God. We need that connection to empower us to do this well. Okay, so he says, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death, that would be on the cross, to present you, here's, the, here's what he's doing with that, to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. That's a fancy way of saying blamelessly, holy and blameless. He frees us to make us holy and blameless in his sight. And then he says this, verse 23, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, he adds that at the end, which sounds like it's all on me. 
But if you know this letter, if you know this context, you understand that this just says, this is evidence that you truly have trusted me. You and I, it's not like you and I have to be faithful. We have to hang in there. And then if we do that, God saves us. No, no. We are able to hang in there and do that because he has saved us, because we believe he has saved us. And we persevere with faith, not just get saved by faith, okay? Martin Luther was talking about this when he, now I don't mean Martin Luther King Jr., I'm talking about the reformer, Martin Luther, 1500s, Germany, um, 95 Thesis, Martin Luther. He used this illustration of a sick person. So there's a man who's dying um, and the doctor says, you have a terminal disease and you are going to die unless you take this medicine. And the, and, and, uh, the man believes him and takes the medicine. Now, in one sense, he is immediately cured, but he's not immediately cured, is he? No. He's as good as cured, but he still has, that medicine still has to, it's begun its saving, but it hasn't finished its saving. So that's what salvation is like. Salvation is, it's immediate and it's not. It's immediate in that we are justified by grace through faith. That means we are as good as saved. It's gonna happen, it just hasn't finished yet. Okay, that's a moment in time when I pray and surrender my life to him by grace through faith, he saves me. But then there's this process of me becoming more like Jesus. That's not justification, that's sanctification. This is a moment in time by faith. This is a process over time by faith. And then one day he's gonna finish that and take us home. And that's also a moment, glorification. And that may, be hap- that may happen when I die. That may ha- happen before I die. But it's going to happen to those who are in Christ. This is why you, when you read through the New Testament, you'll see Paul say, we have been saved. That's, that's justification. In other places, he says, we are being saved. Wait a minute, I thought you said we have been saved. We, we have, and we're being saved, because that's sanctification. And then sometimes he says, and we will be saved. And that's glorification. So he's, it's actually accurate and true in all those cases. It depends on what part of salvation you're looking at. Okay? reconciliation is like that. I am reconciled to God and I am learning how to live a reconciled life with God over time and with other people. And one day I'm gonna go home and be fully reconciled to him and all those that are there. You see it? Reconciliation is a beautiful fruit of salvation. Are you actively engaging with God and people? to see reconciliation happen in front of you? Or are you just sitting in the boat far away from the cries of the people? Are we just listening to the cries, covering our ears with our hands so that we can't hear them? One, you know the one boat that went back? They waited an hour before they went back because they were so afraid and the cries had died down to where there were just a few people left. So then they went back because then they wouldn't be overrun. Are we like that? Are we doing that? Or are we actively praying, God, help me help others reconcile to you and to other people? Or are we passive observers to those who are actually doing it? Right? Tuesday night, we're going to share stories about what God has done in the past year. And there have been some stories, let me tell you, God doing things. And they include reconciliation. 
I wonder how many of us have stories of reconciliation we can talk about that we were a part of. Now, I'm not here to beat you up. That's not my goal, okay? But asking the question is fair game because I have to answer that question too, all right? I'm asking me that question too. Why haven't I seen and been a part of more people reconciled to God? Why haven't I been praying more passionately and intentionally for people to be reconciled to God? Why not? He finishes it out here when he says, this is the gospel. Remember, gospel means good news. What's the good news? That the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Mark 1.15. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. When I get this passage, when I get why Jesus is such a big deal and why Jesus is supreme, I'm reminded Jesus is Lord, supreme Lord over all creation. Therefore, he's first in my worship. Jesus is head, supreme head of the church that he does this saving work through. Therefore, he is first in my work. And Jesus is supreme savior on the cross. And therefore, his, my witness is my first witness is for him and to him. He has revealed God to us and is reconciling us to God. That's what he's doing and that's what he wants to do in and through us. Let's get, let's, we're in the boat. Some of you are in the boat. And you know that you're in the boat because you've been a part of people being reconciled to God. You've seen it done. You've applauded. You've praised. You've actively been a part of that. You yourself have been reconciled to God. You know this is true. And some of you are sitting here going, well, I think I'm a Christian and you've never been a part of reconciliation, including you've never been reconciled to God. You just think because you've been to church, you are a Christian, right? And you've heard the old cliche, you're not a Christian because you're in a church any more than you're a car if you're sitting in a garage, right? Being in the building doesn't make you anything but somebody in the building, okay? There's value in being in the building, because you get to see and hear about how God is working in the lives of other people. So yes, be in the building, but what are we doing here? What is it that we've come to do? We've come to worship the risen one, the one who makes all of this possible. The one who put us in the boat and moves us by compassion to go back and paddle over to where they are and rescue them. But what if they pull us into the water and we die? Follow Jesus in life and follow Jesus in the cross, right? He didn't use the excuse that we might kill him if he comes down here and not come. Come on, dad, don't send me down there. They're gonna kill me, I know. What, wait, wait, man. Really? Yes. And they need that. They need you to die so that they can live. That's the only hope they have. They can't get across the Pacific. You have to go to them. You have to bridge the gap between me and them. And so I'm sending you. And Jesus' number one reason for coming was not me, by the way. Sorry, Micah W. Smith. The number one reason is because his daddy told him to. And how do we show God that we love him? John 14, a couple of times. In other places, John 13, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. The evidence that we love God is that we obey him, that we fear God, that we surrender to him, we submit to him gladly because we know he has our best interests at heart, even if it costs us our life. Because this is not all there is. The 
best is yet to come in Christ. Okay? And the worst is yet to come if not in Christ. We all live forever somewhere. Are you in Christ? So I think about that couple, and I think about how they allowed themselves to reconcile over the grave of the Son of God. I think of, the, of Tad in the White House, and he went to his dad to give the soldier access to his dad because that was the only place he could find the answer to the question that he so much needed. And I don't know what it is you're dealing with today. Whatever is on your heart and mind is totally legitimately real, and God's aware of it. He's aware of how it's hurting you. He's aware of how it's stressing you, how it's affecting you physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. He's aware. It's not like he's busy making more stars. He's doing that, but it's not keeping him from doing anything in your life today. And if you believe he's that big, then you believe he can do this great work in your heart and cause you and me to quit being so hard-hearted and hard-headed and resistant to the very work that he's called us to do in the first place. And if he didn't want to do it in and through us, he'd just take us home. He does that sometimes, right? Sometimes he takes believers home early. And we're like, oh, what a tragedy. Yeah, they don't get to be a part of seeing people come to Christ like you and I get to because we're still here if we'll be in a part of it. So there's a challenge, but just remember this. As much as you may feel guilty right now about this, as a child of God, he loves you. He doesn't love you less because you're not performing, because his love for you is not based on your performance or mine. He just loves you infinitely, and he proved that by sending his son to the cross to die for you, okay? And if you don't know the Lord yet, I want you to know he loves you too. And he knows what you've done and he knows what you think and he knows what you say and he still loves you because he created you on purpose. And he wants to reconcile you to himself so that you can be reconciled to those around you. People, family, friends, neighbors, enemies and even reconciled to the struggles you have yourself. The internal struggles can be reconciled too. He is enough. Let's pray. God, you are good. You are so good. Therefore, we don't have to look elsewhere for our satisfaction. You are more than enough. May we believe that you are more than enough. Lord, you are great. Therefore, I don't have to be in control because you are. You're able. Lord, you are glorious Therefore, I don't have to be afraid for you are with me and you never leave or forsake me. You're, you're right there with me. And Lord, you're gracious and I don't have to prove myself. You love me just as I am. That you love me too much to leave me there. Lord, I pray that we would surrender today. Every single one of us would surrender gladly to the, our creator who created us from nothing and from our reconciler, the one who brought us and makes it possible for us to get across and back to you. Lord, I pray that we would believe that and that we would believe that you want to do this in and through us as well in the lives of other people around the corner and around the world. And it's my prayer that you will do that in Jesus' name. Amen.